So we're in a series called Pushing Back the Darkness, and this series is meant to address what sometimes feels like that encroaching darkness in our lives, that feeling of, you know, uselessness or loneliness or the inability to change, uh, to move, to be what you believe God wants you to be and to do what you believe God wants you to do. It's not self-help. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing is um, we're, we're, we're discovering the tools that God has for us to push back the darkness in our lives that he has provided for us and the provision that he's given us. So that's what we're doing. In week one last week, we talked about praise, how this is the first weapon against the darkness in our lives. And this week, we're talking about something that goes really hand in hand, hand in glove with praise, and that is prayer. And I don't know if you, I don't know what your relationship with prayer is, right? Some of us, some of us, you kneel down to pray when you're little, and that's it. You are a prayer, we sometimes call them prayer warriors, right? They, like, on your knees is the right position for you to be in, and that is how you express your spirituality. Prayer is this huge thing. For others of us, prayer is this kind of confusing theological swamp. Like, you don't really know how it works. You know you're supposed to do it, so you probably do it sometimes, but you're not really sure what's going on and what's happening. I understand that. Um, for others, it's performance, it's ritual that we do for other people or that we, um, that we think we're supposed to do, so we figure out the words that we say and that sort of thing. So I thought what we do today is we take a look in the book of Matthew, but we're going to first take a look, just as Jesus did as he was explaining what prayer is, um, we're first going to take a look at what prayer isn't. So we're going to do that for a moment, and then we'll talk about what prayer is, and then we'll jump into a template of prayer that God has given us. So first, let's talk about what prayer isn't. And the first thing prayer is not is performance, all right? And I, 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 we know that, obviously, prayer is not performance, but we've all been in church that one time where somebody steps up to the front and says, let's pray. And so you bow your head and they go, Heavenly Father. And you're like, what happened to their voice? <laughs> right? They have a particular prayer voice that they probably don't use at home. But like their voice drops three octaves and then all of a sudden they're praying and, and you're like, whoa, that's more spiritual because the lower your voice is, the more spiritual you are. We all know that to be true, right? Which is a real problem for me because as you can tell, my voice just keeps getting higher the older I get. I'm like Benjamin buttoning my, um, <laughs> my voice right now. I don't know why that is. In fact, when I was, at, um, when I was growing up at La Sierra University Church, we knew all the pastors that were there. And so um, every time a pastor would get up, they'd pray. And at the end, we would, we, would, um, we would rate their prayer voice. Seven if the prayer went too long. Four the longer the prayer went. Um, so we had a whole category of the way that we would do that. Um, but listen, it's not pageantry, right? We're not putting on airs to do it. In fact, Mark, Matthew 5, chapter, five, chapter 6, verse 5, it's been a long day. Um, and by the way, it, it, assume that at some point it's going to sound like a helicopter is about to land on this roof. Because for some reason today, in the hour in between the time I preach, it's nowhere to be found. And then the moment I start preaching, it's like, this would be a good time to pull one of those cables directly over this building. So if it happens, stick with me. Um, but, but prayer is not this performance that we go into. And again, in Matthew 6, verse 5, it says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. 
If prayer for you is a performance and you like to do it in front of people, understand, good for you. I hope you get a good feeling from it because that's the reward you get from that kind of prayer when that's all that prayer is to you, all right? The second thing that prayer is not is prayer is not perfunctory. Right? Prayer is not just this thing that's done by rote without effort or reflection. You know, we've all had those prayers in our lives, and maybe that's how you learned how to pray when you were little. There's certain words that you do. And so, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep him. I don't know if that's the one they were, you were taught, but um, something like that. And, and every time you sit down, every time you pray, every time you do, you do it that way. If that's the way that you pray, um, that's not really what prayer is. It's not just this ritual that we do without any thought in the midst of it. And um, a lot of times, that's kind of how we interact with prayer. Prayer is also not a puzzle, right? It's not like we're trying to fit pieces together to get a greater understanding of the larger picture. It's not a test. And it's not a mystery, although there are mysterious things within prayer. The prayers that we do are not necessarily a mystery. They're conversations that we have with God. And, and by the way, we've been giving some patterns on how to pray, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Another thing, and probably the most important thing that prayer is not, and I want you to hear me, folks. Prayer is not magic. What I mean by that is, is prayer is not a manipulation of spiritual powers, and it is not a manipulation of God. We believe in an unmanipulable God, right? Our prayers do not force God into action, understanding, or response, in fact, we become magicians when we think there's a pattern that forces God to respond in a certain way. So we have to be very clear on that. Because I remember quite a few years ago, there was this, and I think I may have mentioned it before, there was this book by a guy named Bruce Wilkinson, uh, Wilkerson, I think it was, called The Prayer of Jabez. And if you read the book back in the day, it said that you pray this prayer, the prayer of Jabez, which, which included expand my territory, God, and God would respond by expanding your territory. Like it was a one-to-one. You pray this prayer for 30 days, he's going to do it. And I, we all jumped in. Yeah, that sounds good. And by day five, I'm like, wait a second. This feels like an incantation, right? I'm saying these same words and now God has to respond to me. I've got a great deal of power. And then I realized, no, I don't. I've got a great deal of access to power. But by me saying the same words over and over again have no influence on God because God already knows what's best for me. And so if my territory is to be expanded, he will do that. And if it's not, have fun saying those words for 30 days. Right? And, and I mentioned that because there is a fine line and sometimes we don't know where that line is delineated and we step over it and we've moved into something that seems much more like an incantation or recital of certain words that, that, that make God do something. I mean, Matthew 6 verse 7 even speaks to it. It says, when you pray, don't babble on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. He actually says it. And I love this text, by the way, because, you know, it says, don't babble on. That word battle actually comes, babble comes from the word battalogeo, right? Which is an onomatopoeia, which is a word that sounds like the sound it's describing. So like kerplunk, that's an onomatopoeia, if you don't know what that is. And by the way, most fun ever, you can tell I'm, I don't get out much, um, most fun ever spelling onomatopoeia. You don't know how to spell it. It's all right. Um, anyway, so what he was literally saying was, don't bada 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 on like other people of other religions do, which sounds to me so much like Seinfeld, yada, 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 
All right? Some of you remember what I'm talking about. So he's actually saying, listen, don't bada, bada, bada like all these other religions do, forcing God to do something because that's not how this works. Right? So Jesus is, is saying this is what prayer is not. But he also tells the disciples that he's speaking to at the time what prayer is. So let's take a moment and look at what prayer is and look at how it pushes back on the darkness. The first thing that prayer is is personal. That's where it begins. It is a personal conversation between you and God. It is not performance. It, it means that it is meant to be personal. It is meant to be something that we do from the deepest parts of our heart. And, and unfortunately, people are sometimes afraid to tell God what they're really thinking in their heart. They're afraid that if they say something to God, they may offend God, right? That if they tell him what they're really feeling, that, that he may get upset with them. And so one of the reasons why we fall back on a ritual is because we're afraid that if we tell God the truth, he's not going to be able to handle it. Let's, let's think about that for a moment. God's pretty good at handling things. He's pretty good at handling things like the universe. So do you really think you're going to say something and God's going to be like, that's it? I, first of all, never heard that before, which is highly unlikely. And second of all, I am so deeply offended that I will no longer, what? Come on. But we do that. We function that way. And, and so what we do is we back away from the real personal expression of what's going on. But, you know, this is for us and God. That's the beautiful thing about prayer. I mean, we pray publicly, and there's nothing wrong with that, and I, I believe it's a beautiful thing. But, but God has called us to pray personally. In fact, he says it like this. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to the Father, pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, by the way, will reward you. This is a call for the authenticity of prayer. It is direct and simple. It is a conversation between you and God. It is also an ascent to his omni-optical understanding of the world. In other words, God sees everything, and he knows and hears all. Therefore, you're not surprising God with what you say to him. You're not, even when we pray for other people, you know, Lord, I pray for Don. Don needs some help. I pray for Don. God's not up there going, Don. There's a lot of them. I forgot this one. That's not happening, right? So don't, like, don't worry about that. But what prayer is for is for processing. And that means it's where we can go to process things that we don't understand or that we don't have answers to. Prayer is where we can struggle, where we can wrestle, and, and where we can be exhausted in the relationship with God. Because we're trying to figure out how this works. We're trying to figure out what God wants. And, and we can process and say, God, I'm not really happy about this thing. I don't really understand what's going on here. Can you please help me out? Because I don't like this. This is not great. Have you ever had one of those really hard processing conversations, like hours and hours and hours? I was, uh, we'd just done a tour in Australia. We'd spent like 20 days in Australia. And um, I was having some issues with one of the guys in the band. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to sit next to him when we fly. And everyone's like, okay. Because um, nobody wanted to sit with him because he never, ever slept. Um, so, so I was like, I'll sit next to him. And they said, okay. So we sit down and there was an issue that I wanted to talk about. So the plane takes off and I'm like, hey man, because now he's stuck 
Um, so I'm like, hey man, I think we need to talk about this. So we start talking back and forth. We were both desperately disagreeing with one another, but we're processing through this because, you know, being in a band is a lot like being in a marriage without all the good parts. Like you're just, you hang out with these people way too much. That's pretty much what it is, right? Um, so, so we're going and we're arguing, we're arguing, we're arguing, we're arguing, we're arguing, we're arguing. Uh, we're processing. That's a better way to say arguing, right? We're processing. Finally, a guy taps me on my shoulder and he's like, hey man, would you guys shut up? And I'm like, wow, rude. And I'm like, well, we're processing something here. And he goes, yeah, I know. I've been listening for five hours. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, that's reasonable. We're, we'll be quiet now. We'll... Um, prayer is where we do that with God. You want to wrestle with God? Do it in prayer. Right? Wrestle with God. It's okay. He can handle it. He can handle you. And he can handle your process. And he can actually help you with it. Prayer is process. Prayer is personal. Prayer is also practice. It's a spiritual discipline, something that grows us and forms us, even if we don't necessarily understand it or understand how it works, right? People go, so how does prayer work? And I'm always like, I don't know. Well, then why should we do it? Oh, he asked us to. Yeah, but if you don't know how it works, I'm like, there's lots of things I don't know how it works. I look at my cell phone all the time. I don't have a clue how it works. I know how to stop it from working, but I don't know how it works, but that doesn't mean it's any less useful to me. And God, for whatever reason, has said, I'd like you to pray, because that's how we communicate with one another. And so I go, okay. And somebody goes, well, I don't know how it works. And I'm like, I don't know how it works either, but that doesn't make a difference because we're still going to do it because that's what God's asked us for. And even if you don't think it has any power, if you want to be faithful to God, you pray, right? Because that's what we do. We're obedient to God. You don't have to know how it works. You just have to know it's a practice. It's a spiritual discipline in our lives. And chances are it will lead you to a greater understanding of what it is. And here's the thing. Henry Nowen says it this way, and I love it. Prayer is the most concrete way to make our home in God. Prayer is, prayer is a tangible way. And while prayer seems like it's this intangible kind of ethereal thing, mysterious thing, it's actually pretty simple. Start talking. Start sharing. It is a tangible response to the darkness. Let's not get all crazy with it. Let's go, hey, God, got some things. In fact, maybe don't enter into prayer. Maybe live prayer. That every day you wake up, you're involved in that conversation. And you know what? I kind of like what he says here. Because it feels like, it feels like Jesus is kind of protecting God from the overwhelming asks and probably the, the recycling that we do of prayer all the time. And, and you know how he says this, don't be, don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And there are people who feel like prayer is pleading, and I don't think it is. I don't think, and I've been, I've been at conferences, I've been at prayer conferences where people are on the ground supplicating themselves, crying, tears rolling down their eyes, and that's, that's fair, you can do that. But pray, Lord, please bring this, bring the, you know, we're having a so the latter day rain, that's what we say. Lord, bring the latter day rain, bring it, please, please, please. You ever think God's like, I got it. Like I heard you 20 minutes ago. Right? Sometimes we don't, I think God's listening and he knows what's best for us and he knows what we need even before we ask him. Certainly we're, we're asked to ask him, but come on, 
I don't have to pray, pray, and plead for my forgiveness because God is willing to forgive me. And he was willing 2,000 years before I got here. So maybe I need to learn what a prayer of acceptance sounds like, not a pleading for grace because that's available to us. So, so how do we pray? And this is what the disciples asked Jesus. How do we pray? By the way, we're reading from Matthew 6, chapter, five, or chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And he goes, pray like this. So Jesus decides to help out, right? Rather than simply give the negatives of what prayer shouldn't be, he wants us to understand um, some very particular things about prayer. And by the way, you've heard all this stuff before, right? This is not anything new. We're talking about the Lord's Prayer. So you've heard it, right? But there's a couple of observations that we need to look at. One of the observations is, is that it shows up in the use of the first person plural pronouns. So we, us, are, it's using those kind of, of pronouns. Now, many of you are not English majors like I was, so you're like, mm, what are pronouns? I'm trying to think about it in seventh grade. Um, I get it. Um, but the reason why it's important is words are important. And one of the things is that this reminds us that praying, while personal, ought to reflect the corporate unity desires and needs for the entire church. That's part of it. So we pray for our things. And, and, and we pray, and that's important. But the, another observation is this. We call this the Lord's Prayer, but we probably shouldn't because this is the disciples' prayer. It was given as a gift, a model of how disciples should pray. How do we know that? Because there's this prayer for forgiveness in the middle of it, and the Lord doesn't need forgiveness. So this is something for us. So maybe we should be calling it the disciples' prayer because it's this gift that God gave to the disciples. And it starts like this, our Father in heaven. And by the way, most of you learn this like King James Version, right? So I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, and your head is going to hear it in the King James Version with all of these and thous and arts, right? I get it. And all the hallowed's. It's okay. There's only one hallowed, but... Um, so it starts like this, our Father in heaven. And by the way, let's pay attention to this language because this is sonship language. This is daughtership language. It's the relational language of family. But it also recognizes the sovereignty and transcendency of God because it says, hey, dad, who's in heaven? Right? Our Father who is in heaven. It recognizes that he is there. This is a prayer to the transcendent God, but also to the intimate God. It covers a lot in just four words, doesn't it? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And you're thinking, hallowed be thy name, right? May your name be kept holy. All praise begins with recognition, right? And, and by saying we want to keep your name holy, what means is, by the way, names were really important in the, in the Middle East and in ancient times. If you knew someone's name, you were really talking about their whole character. And so what they're saying is, hey, we want to make sure that your character is kept holy. By the way, one of the ways that we keep his character holy is by being people of God, right? By being, by being good people, by being compassionate people, by showing people who God is because we're reflecting his name. But, he's, but, but um, names in Scripture always speak to the holiness of God, right? You've got names like Almighty, Ancient of Days, Ever-Present Help, Good shepherd, Lord of lords, prince of peace, redeemer, refuge, savior, and more and more and more and more. These names are how we keep God holy because we're recognizing the totality of who God is when we say his name. So may your name be kept holy. We got to keep it holy. That's what we have to do. And then may your kingdom come soon. May your kingdom come soon. 
This is a desire to see God tangibly, at least in the sense of the power of the kingdom. You know, the power of the kingdom is the residue of God's experience here on earth. And it's the conduit to what God is doing right now. So when we say, may your kingdom come, sure, that's a desire that Jesus might come very quickly and very soon. But what it really is also is this desire that the kingdom may be seen in the world. And how is that going to be seen? It's going to be seen through us. So this is a calling like of responsibility that we have, right? That when we experience God, the residue of that is what we give to the world. And then it says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Again, the kingdom of God represents the effects of God on the world through us. That what we do here might be a reflection of the revelation of God that we see in heaven. This is tangible. These are not just haughty words saying, hey, out there. These are words of like, hey, right here. And then he says, give us today the food we need. It's not a great translation. Um, Give us today our daily bread. That's what we're used to, right? Give us today the food we need. Um, But it's actually not the greatest translation because, of course, this is an ascent to Moses and manna. But here's the thing. If you're praying today, you're really worried about the food tomorrow. And so really a better translation of this, and, and most commentators agree, is actually give us today the food we need for tomorrow, provide provision for us. It's looking ahead as if we are praying, because if we are praying today, we have already been provided for today. And then it says, and you know this, and and this is a turn in Matthew. By the way, you know, Matthew's is a little bit different than the other synoptic gospels, because it doesn't have that doxology and for thine is the power and kingdom, the glory forever, amen. We don't have that in Matthew. But Matthew leans us towards forgiveness and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sins against us and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us if you want the King James Version. Now this is often misunderstood, I think, because it seems like there's this one-to-one relationship, right? Forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sins against us. Like we're only going to get forgiven if we forgive. And, and that becomes deeply trans- transactional if we're not careful, right? Well, I forgave three people and I need forgiveness four times, so I better go find one more person to forgive, right? Like we're all of a sudden keeping tallies. That's not really how God works. But I think what, what he's saying is, is listen, if you don't forgive you won't receive forgiveness. Not that it's not even being offered, but that you won't accept it. Because if you've not cultivated a culture of forgiveness in your life, to be forgiven is actually foreign to you. It is different than what you're used to, and you don't like it because it feels like you're in somebody's debt. And you don't want to be in somebody's debt. So you don't want to be forgiven by someone because then you may owe them something. And so I think that's what we're talking about, not just a transactional relationship between our forgiveness and God's forgiveness, but the desire for you to cultivate a culture of forgiveness in your own life so that when you are forgiven from God, you will accept that forgiveness because it is offered to you. And then it goes on, and normally we read it like this, right? Lead us not into temptation. That's weird, isn't it? Why is God leading us into temptation? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about like maybe... Why do I have to tell God not to do that? So I like this translation much better. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, this comes in the midst of a conversation about forgiveness. But I want you to understand why, I think. Because if forgiveness is the medicine to our sins, 
This is the preventative action, right? Like preventative medicine, it stops the disease of sin before it starts. And by the way, as Christians, one of the things we believe in is growth, right? We believe that, that God's not going to leave us somewhere in our sin. He's going to help us move forward and past it and give us victory over that sin in our lives. So what we're seeing in this prayer is actually an ascent to that growth. It's an ascent to that maturity. Pray for forgiveness, but hey, also pray that you don't even need to ask for forgiveness because you're not sinning anymore because God's getting ahead of that with you. And as you grow, you know what's coming a little bit better, right? I mean, hopefully as you get older, you know what the response to your, your, you know, whatever it is that you do will be. As we get older and as we get more mature, we begin to maybe not do some of the stupid things that we did when we were younger. Spiritually, that should be true too. Shouldn't it? I mean, I think so. And so this is interesting that you're praying for forgiveness and then all of a sudden it's a sent to like, hey, maybe let's not get into those situations And help us not to get in those situations. Is it possible that as we mature, our prayers move from forgiveness to protection? Because we're beginning to see what's coming in our lives. We know what temptation really is for us. I mean, I always, I fall back on something I heard T.D. Jake say a really long time ago. He's speaking to a group of men and I always thought this was really powerful. He he said, you know, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be tempted and you should kind of lean into that temptation because if you're being tempted, it means that Satan knows that you're a powerful tool in God's tool belt, right? So we know that there's going to be temptation. And so as you mature as a Christian, one of the things you want to do is get ahead of that temptation and you want to get ahead of those same sinful behaviors that you can't seem to get out of because we're growing towards Christ. That's the hope. But he throws it in there and then he goes, hey, hang on a second. Let's actually talk about forgiveness again because you may have some issues with this. So he jumps back to forgiveness in this Matthean version. And he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. And this must be important if it's repeated here in Matthew again. It also helps us to realize that we cannot simply repeat the words as an incantation of any sort. Because he's saying, listen, pray for forgiveness, but pray for forgiveness again and also forgive those again because relationships need lots of forgiveness. Am I right? I think they are. I think about the fact that if I only asked for forgiveness once in my marriage, we would have been good for a solid three days. (laughs) We've been married for 24 years. Do you think there's been more than one ask and there's been more than one giving of forgiveness? Of course, and this is why he goes back to it, because he's like, this, by the way, you're going to have to ask again and again, because you're going to need it. And by the way, you're going to have to give it again and again. And then he actually puts this little eh in the end, and he goes, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Like, take that as a warning. And again, I don't think it's a one-to-one transaction. Don't get into that mindset. Get into the idea that in order to receive forgiveness... You have to give it because we don't receive what we won't give. We don't receive what we don't give. But this prayer is a model. It's a template, right? It's a pattern for disciples. But it's not, hey, say these words exactly the same way and you'll be good. Because that's all of a sudden works related. Oh, well, he did it right. He got every word. So he's good. That's not how that works. It's for us to take into our lives, understand that there is a nice pattern if you don't know what to say, and then you can begin to express it. Express it. 
I mean, this emphasis on forgiveness, both his and ours, should remind us of the human condition and that grace is always accessible and is always renewable for us. Forgiveness, salvation, and grace are not one-time events, but the constant bellwether of relationships. This emphasis on forgiveness that comes from God and, and goes from us is important. But see, it's, it reminds us that it's something that's renewed all, every time. It's something that's accessible every time. Prayer pushes back on the darkness by reminding us that God's promises are new every day and accessible at all times. Right? Prayer renews us. It refreshes us. It recreates us in his image. And it reestablishes God's sovereignty in our lives because we're focusing on him and we're submitting to him. But you know, what happens is we, we pray and we feel like our prayers don't go above the ceiling. Because they don't feel like they do. Not that prayer has anything to do with feelings, but prayer has everything to do with the fact that God has forgiven us and God loves us. But because we don't feel it, we don't do it. Or we fall back on rituals that don't really have any meaning in our lives, but have become rote and memorized. And because of that, the darkness encroaches in and we can't seem to push it back. And so you know what we do? We decide to do the next best thing. Rather than find a light in the darkness, we decide we're going to let our eyes adjust to the darkness. By the way, have you ever done that? You ever woken up in the middle of the night not wanting to wake up the person that you're laying next to, my wife? And so rather than, this happens to me, I get up early. Rather than turn on the light on my phone, which is super easy, I just sit and I wait for my eyes to adjust to the darkness. And once they adjust so I can see relatively well in the darkness, I get up and I start walking around trying to find the things I need to put on before I go to work. Right? Inevitably, this happens. I'm walking. I run into something with my feet. I get to pray to Jesus. In words, not always beautiful. Because you see, I, I, what I would try to do is I try to be comfortable in the, in the darkness. I try to let my eyes adjust to the darkness so that I can find my way around in my own power and, and, and in my own, what I, is, I perceive as safety. This is what I do. This is what we do. Rather than turning on the light of prayer, which is 100% accessible every single moment of every single day, we let and try to get our eyes to adjust to the darkness. Don't let your eyes adjust to the darkness. Turn on the light. You don't need a lot of light to push back on the darkness. What does Dr. Martin Luther King say? One candle pushes back on the darkness. So what you got to decide is, you know, are you going to use this tool that is accessible to you every single day? You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to know how to do it. It's already been given you in a pattern. You don't know exactly the right words to say. You don't have to know exactly the right words to say. Because God actually has angels who interpret our groanings and our utterances. When we're in pain, when we've lost somebody, when we are struggling with the hurt that that causes and the isolation, you don't even have to say words. You can just go, ah, and God knows what that means. And it is accessible every moment from wherever you are. And no matter how dark it is, light comes. And it pushes back on the darkness in our lives. So, so my admonition to you today is never stop talking. Never stop talking to God. Never stop wrestling. Never stop, stop 
processing with him. Never stop just giving yourself to him in prayer. Say whatever it is you're supposed to be saying from your heart because God will understand it. It will not stress him out. It will not cause him anxiety. It will connect you to him more than it ever has before. And man, if you don't believe me, try it. Try it. Even if it doesn't feel like they're going somewhere, I guarantee you, he hears. And I guarantee you, he knows what's best for you and he loves you deeply. And you know, don't just repeat the words, our Father who art in heaven. How about it sounds something like this? Hey God, Father, friend, I know that you're up in heaven because that's where you live. And I want to keep you holy in my life. And so I want to call you names like like Dad. I want to call you names like my deliverer and my defender. That's why we sing these songs. And Lord, I want to see your kingdom. And whatever I can do to help forward that kingdom in this world today, let me do it. And I want to do what you want me to do, so help me understand what that is. Because, Because it's what you want, not what I want. And Lord, thanks for what you've provided for me today. That's amazing. And and I'm really anxious to see how you're going to provide for me tomorrow. I don't know what that is, but I'm waiting to see it. And Lord, forgive the foolish stuff that I do. And I'm going to make sure that I forgive the people around me too, because they do some pretty foolish stuff. You created them in very interesting ways. (laughs) But I'm going to make sure I forgive them too. And hey, There's stuff in my life that I have a tendency to fall into, and I'd really rather not. So if you could help me not do that, that would be helpful, because I'd really like to get ahead of the sin thing in my life. Sometimes I'm tired of asking for forgiveness. I'd like to get ahead of it. Can you help me do that? I know you can. And Lord, all of this, I know you can do, and I know you want what's best for me. So I'm just going to thank you in advance. And Lord, help me see it because I'm sometimes blind and you kind of see everything. And all that is just the beginning of the conversation that I have with God. Because what we like to delineate with an amen doesn't stop with an amen. It continues on in every breath and every thought and every word that we speak. Because I don't know about you, but I need that darkness pushed back, push back in my life. So, let's pray. Jesus, may your power be known here. May your overwhelming presence be felt here. As we sing of you and as we sing to you, may these words be our prayer. And Lord, if there's anyone here who, who feels like their heart is just is just being pressed in by the darkness in their lives, whether it's a bad relationship, whether it's some stuff that they really should not be involved in, um, whether, it's, whether it's their job situation, their family situation, Lord, um, and they just need light today, Lord, I ask that you connect them with you. I ask that, that you, you set a spark in their heart and, and, may that be, and may that happen through this prayer connection that we have. Lord, because you know what we struggle with even better than we do. You know exactly what we need. 
But Lord, let us never be afraid to speak with you. Let us never be afraid to use prayer as that light in the darkness. Never let us think that you're not listening because you are. And even before those words come out of our mouths, while they're still in our hearts, you've heard them loudly. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. And thank you for being willing to accept these praises today. In your name I pray, amen.